The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Stephen Biggs, your guest host on the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Are you an ISA certified arborist or master gardener who needs continuing education credits to maintain your certification? Check out the Tree Quiz app on orchardpeople.com. You can listen to past episodes, take quizzes on show content, and apply for continuing education credits. Learn more at orchardpeople.com app. That's orchardpeople.com app. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, filling in for Susan Poisner. Stephen Biggs. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephen Biggs, and I'm the guest host today on the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Susan's off this month, and she asked me to do a show on a topic that just fascinates me, olive trees. I'm a horticulturist, avid gardener, and I'm the author of the book, Grow Figs Where You Think You Can't. And uh, I'm really delighted to be with you today. Now, the first time I saw olive trees growing in the ground here in Canada, I was on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. The olive trees were espaliered against a house, and they had Christmas lights draped over top of them. I was with Bob Duncan, and he runs the nursery and demonstration orchard, fruit trees, and more. And what he told me was that his olive trees are warm enough most winter nights there in Victoria, but when it gets too cold, He turns on the incandescent Christmas lights, which give off heat, and then he drapes an insulating fabric over the wall. I was also surprised to learn that olives can be grown on some of the southern Gulf Islands in British Columbia. And I can tell you, I sure had a bad case of zone envy as I flew back to Toronto. By the way, I returned home from that trip with an olive tree, a medlar tree, and a kefir lime tree stuffed in my suitcase. And I'd I'd gone out to BC with an empty suitcase, knowing that I'd be visiting nurseries. And I really wanted another variety of olives so that I could get fruit from uh, the two pot-grown olive trees that I'd been nurturing for over a decade here in Toronto. Well, it's over three years later. I've still never had an olive. It's a bit disappointing, but nevertheless, I find my olive trees are stunningly beautiful. I just love the way those grey leaves shimmer in the light. Maybe you're lucky enough to garden somewhere that olive trees can survive the winter. Maybe, like me, you have olive trees in pots and you just hope to be able to get a few fruit from them. Or maybe you just love the look of the trees. Whatever the case, our guest today will share with us his olive-growing expertise. Our guest is Carrie Cloud from the nursery Olive Tree Growers in north-central Florida. His website is olivetreegrowers.com. Carrie's specialty is container-growing large, potted specimen olive trees. In the past, he's grown olive trees in olive-friendly gardening zones, but he describes the weather in his current location as being a little bit too mercurial, too changeable and too unpredictable for olives. And that does give Carrie the occasional challenge. When we were emailing back and forth to arrange for him to join me on the show today, he had to deal with two different cold weather emergencies. 
Kerry will tell us today about what he does, how he got into growing olives. He'll share some insights about growing olives and then give tips for growing olives in less than ideal climates. Before we start, I'd love to have your stories and your questions. Do you grow olives? And if so, send your questions. If you have an olive growing tale to share with me, send that too. Email us at instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and the city that you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. Now, Carrie Cloud of Olive Tree Growers is on the line with me. Carrie, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hi, Stephen. Pleasure to be with you. And tell us what it's like today in Florida. Oh, it's around 80 degrees, uh, mostly sunny, light hmm. breeze. Um, the trees are happy. Ah, good to hear. I was looking at the photos on your website before I came in today, Carrie, and uh, in the one of them, the sun is shining between two rows of olive trees, and, and it just looks like the leaves are aglow. A it looks really yep. beautiful. For, for people who haven't been amongst olive trees, I wonder, can you describe what it's like? Well, they look different in every light. They uh, can be very shiny on top of the leaf, which is glossy and a medium green. Uh, but the undersides of every cultivar, the undersides of the leaves are a beautiful silver. And so the least bit of breeze shows the silver underneath the leaves because the branches are very flexible. And the tr leaves are arranged more or less in a whirl around the stem. So you can see, you know, fronts of tops of leaves and bottoms of leaves at the same time. And uh, several well-known painters, including Van Gogh and Renoir, have had a lot to say about how difficult it was to paint the olive trees because of their ever-changing look. Hmm. So capturing all those different shades and angles then. It sounds beautiful. Yes, there's, there's um, letters to his brother in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam about how he can't come home from southern France yet. He's just captivated by trying to capture the, the light in these olive trees. Wow. Wow. Now, tell me, did you grow up around olive trees? Where You no, said I you didn't. grew up on a farm, but uh, no olives then, hey? No, there was, there was no one growing olives there. Uh, now, my first experience with it was in, in 1989. I found a small olive tree for sale in a fruit tree nursery, and I planted it on St. George Island on the beachfront of the Gulf of Mexico. And it did so well there. My main interest was here's a tree, a broadleaf tree, that can stand up to the wind better than even the native Yopon holly and wax myrtle and even the pines uh, stood up to the wind. And that was my initial interest. Like, not only is this tree pretty, it can totally stand up to gulf front conditions. And uh, that's when I decided I needed to get more of them. At the time, I wasn't even expecting it to fruit. I didn't even think about it. And then later on, we found that they fruit better there than they do, I would venture to say, any place in the southeast. Hmm. I was just going to say I, I certainly don't associate olives with Florida, so I guess it's it's not surprising that you hadn't seen them that frequently. No, only in the last 10 years have farmers been planting olives that, uh, on scant evidence that it's, that it's a realizable goal to, to make olive oil and make money off of it. And you can get enough of olives to feed yourself if that's what you want to do off a tree here but you won't get olives every year and you won't get a quantity of olives in most places in florida virtually all almost all places in florida to make it an agricultural enterprise mm -hmm. uh, but the uh, beach that i originally planted olives on is the one place in florida that gets just exactly the right temperature range that's a very important thing and also has the salt air, which keeps down any fungal and bacterial pestilence. Okay. And you were saying beach, so are, are we talking about a, a sandy soil there? Oh, yeah. We're talking about, we call it ball bearings. We, we were professional gardeners there, and we said it's like 
uh, gardening and ball bearings on the deck of an aircraft carrier. Huh? What a beautiful yeah, it's, description. It's, it's always windy. The soil is absolutely positively drained. But you have to water, you know, like anything else there. An olive tree has to be watered regularly almost every day, you know. Uh, and that's one of the myths about olive trees is that they want to be dry. They don't want to be dry. They just don't want to stand in the same water day in and day out, you know. And and I have to tell people that if they're growing olives in most Florida soils, which are most are just sand, uh, it's almost impossible to overwater, you know, as long as your water table is deeper than the roots can go, um, that water's going to run right through. Okay. Well, on that note, I remember seeing olive trees growing in, in Tuscany in Italy, and right. the soil looked to me like a, a bone-dry soil that was filled with chunks of rock. And so um, I'm, I'm comparing that in my mind to the sandy soils you're talking about, and, and it's quite a difference. Right. So um, That's a clay-based soil, mm-hmm. and so when it's dry on top, it can be moist a foot down, and also rocks in the soil hold, just by surface tension, hold more water there. You know, but oh, uh, here, there, a quarter of an inch of rain means something. In Florida, it really doesn't mean much at all. And that's because of your sandy soil there? The rain is just... Yeah, because uh, the soil in Tuscany doesn't dry out quickly. Here, the water just runs right through it. You can get a half-inch rain and kick up dust as soon as it stops raining here. Okay. Let's, let's move so to... Uh, let's the move to some of the... on top, but it's got moisture in it at, at a foot or two of depth. So that clay is really holding the moisture uh, exactly. further down. Okay. Now, if we talk about some of the challenges that uh, home gardeners might face when uh, growing right. olives in, in yards and, and urban areas, what are the things that you hear about or that you see for, for olive growing challenges? Well, one thing is that growing your olives in your yard, um, sometimes you have no idea what kind of soil is going to be there because the builder brought in something for fill soil somewhere else, from somewhere else. And in Florida, that can be pure sand or, you know, like almost like brick mason sand. Or it can be some wet soil, some wetland soil, which is like airless and it looks acidic, but that's mostly from tannin. But in any case, it's basically very fine particled soil that's just been scooped up from a wet place and put there. It's... You have to be careful. I mean, you know, it depends on whether you got your real soil there or something that the builder left. Mm. Uh, sometimes they leave, if, if there's a masonry house or stucco house, there's apt to be an incredible amount of lime products left in the soil. So you have to watch out for that. That's, that would be the first thing. You know, make sure that the soil isn't extremely acidic or extremely sweet. Are Olive there, are there visual... Mm-hmm. Are there visual cues to uh, if those bricklayers uh, leave lime products behind? Are there things that uh, homeowners can look for that might trigger them well, to realize? See, yeah, you can usually see when you dig, you know, concentrations of where they washed out stucco buckets or something like that. And, and then the soil got stirred around, added to, and stuff like that. Uh, there's that. And then the other thing, of course, is if you suspicious you can do a ph test but um and if you're a really practiced gardener you can taste it and tell if it's acidic or limey so taste it but yeah yeah you can taste the salt just put a little bit of it on the tip of your tongue and it's completely different if it's acidic or if it's uh, extremely sweet hmm What, aside from uh, soil in the home garden as a challenge, are there, what are some of the other things you see? One thing is um, a lot of times people plant olive trees in a place in their yard where there's really strong light, say it's a, a, next to a south-facing wall. So there's really strong light on the south side and not much light at all on the north side. The tree's going to lean, and they're very heliotrophic. 
they will lean out strongly and once that's done it's really difficult for somebody to put a stake in the ground and tie it back up which I, I get asked about a lot so what you want to try to do is put it in a place where it has light pretty close to the same amount of light all around you know not not a not on the south side of a dark big tree or something like that or a wall or a forest, you know. Hmm. Um, that that would be the other thing. Uh, and, of course, um, if you're in a northern place, planting it in your yard actually gives you an opportunity to look for your warmest spot and, and out of the wind spot. That's important. It oh. also should be said that the winter hardiness of olives is better where winter is winter than like in Florida where it can be 80 degrees today and 16 tomorrow from a cold front and then right back up again. This is good that you mention that this hurts because... More. That uh, hurts olive trees more than... I have olive trees growing in the Portland, Oregon area where a typical winter morning is 35 and the afternoon is 40, 42 <laughs> and the olives do fine there. So when you were telling me about the but mercurial... Here one day and then we get a cold front, then, you know, even 22, 23 degrees can, can cause some splitting of small branches and killing of uh, small, small branches and leaves just because of the extremes, the, the mercurial nature of it mm. we talked about earlier. Right. Okay. And and so that's the kind of cold weather emergency that you were dealing with then when we were initially corresponding. I have a question that's just come in from uh, Carla. And uh, okay. Carla's asking us, Carrie, about the difference between virgin and extra virgin olive oil in relationship to the trees. What's your uh, response to that? Well, extra virgin olive oil means that it has less than 1% of free acid. And it has little to do with the tree, except that some, um, you know, that some cultivars make better oil than others. But uh, it's really a matter of how well the olives are grown, mostly, and, and the care taken by the, the miller. Uh, first, you know, they, they say first press, first cold press. Well, it is, it is all, all the oil you drink and eat is first cold press oil. Um, extra virgin just means it's very low in acidity, and then there's regular virgin olive oil. And then beyond that, lower grades and oil that's chemically extracted after the pressing or the centrifuging of oil for food and that's used for machine oil okay so it's really just a matter of you know how good the olives are that year and how good your miller is you know you you want oil with less than one percent of free acid and that's what can be called extra virgin also it's cold pressed because they're not supposed to add hot water to it to help separate the the oil from the pulp and the juice although that's often done anyway from what I've read but that that's what cold press means they don't add hot water to the mixture to help separate the oil okay I have another question uh, here Carrie and and this one comes to us from Connor in Ireland and um, he's asking about olives in Dublin and he says that there they have cool, damp conditions with long summer days. He's in, uh, in a zone 9 with little frost, uh, not severe when it comes. And uh, he said the temperatures rarely exceed 68 Fahrenheit or about 20 Celsius. And he, he sees olives there, but never any fruit. Why, why do you think they're not getting any fruit? The high temperature rarely exceeds 68 Fahrenheit? That's right. Okay, well, you know, olives don't do much active growing until it's above 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Ah. And so maybe he just doesn't have enough of warm season. I mean, it's hot season, you know. 
it sounds like it's never too cold. Uh, what was the low or Fahrenheit low in general there? He's he's talking about uh, very little frost, so I'm guessing somewhere around frost. the freezing point. Yeah, right. That shouldn't be a problem. Anything above 26, 27 degrees is not a problem. But we always look forward to days starting to be consistently above 70 degrees Fahrenheit because that tells us that the trees are going to start growing, and they make their fruit on the wood that was produced in the previous year. Hmm. So if you don't get that long whips of wood in a year's growth, then you won't have fruit the next year. So it, it sounds like their their climate there is warm enough for it to survive, but not ideal for the fruit production, then, is what you're saying. Now, um, I have another question here from Cliff in Toronto, and he's asking about Russian olives. And um, maybe we can just side sidetrack to that quickly. He's he's heard about Russian olives, uh, wondering if they're edible, and also that he's heard that they're invasive, and yet some people talk about using them, uh, interplanting them in, in fruit orchards. Do you have any uh, experience or comments on Russian olives? We might have lost Carrie there. Hey, um, Carrie, are you with us? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't uh, hear anything but a, a little hissing, but okay. Uh, 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 Steve's got another question for you from Cliff in Toronto. Go ahead, Steve. Okay. Yeah. So Cliff in Toronto has been asking about Russian olive trees, and um, he's read about Russian olives and is wondering if the fruit on the Russian olives is edible as it is with uh, with other olives, and also is it is it considered an invasive? What do you know about that, Carrie? It would be considered invasive here. It's not actually an olive. It's one of those, there's many things that are called some kind of olive that are not related to olive at all. Okay. You know, here they, they call osmanthus fragrance, which has a small flower like an olive flower that's very sweet smelling. They call that tea olive. And a lot of people think olive flowers smell sweet because they're familiar with tea olive. But olive flowers actually have no smell at all. Russian olive is an eliagnus. Uh, we have Eliagnus pungens here. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the species name of that Eliagnus is, but it's uh, it's considered invasive in in places in a lot of places. Uh, I know it's used a lot in like the Intermountain West, where you know it's hard to find something to make a a hedge or a backdrop with, and they're tough like that. But they're not olive trees at all. Okay. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, know, but I would not suggest eating the fruit until you find out for sure. Okay, it's not okay. Really an olive tree. So it's olive in name only. Right. There's several things like that. There's something in South Florida called black olive, and it's a it's a Caribbean tree, Bucida bucerus, and people get them confused all the time. Okay. All right. Uh, Carrie, with that, we're going to take a, a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. And uh, okay. when we come back, I'd like to talk more about how to successfully grow olive trees and, and especially how to get fruit. You're okay. listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show here on Reality Radio 101. I'm Stephen Biggs, filling in for Susan Poisner. Susan runs the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. Coming up after the break, we'll talk more with Kerry Cloud of Olive Tree Growers and get more information about olives. And his website is olivetreegrowers.com. that one of the best ways to ensure organic fruit tree growing success is to order the right tree for your unique conditions? You'll get the widest selection of cultivars from a specialist fruit tree nursery where you can find heirloom trees, disease-resistant varieties, and more. To download a free list of fruit tree nurseries in Canada and the United States, go to orchardpeople.com 
buy fruit trees. That's B-U-Y dash fruit dash trees. Enjoy the list and your new fruit tree and learn more about how to care for your tree by signing up for my free monthly newsletter at orchardpeople.com. Looking for a quick, easy to apply and all natural fertilizer to use in your vegetable and flower gardens or for your fruit trees? Why not work with Mother Nature? Layer Hand Manure is a terrific fertilizer and this is what Actisol does by transforming the manure from their egg farms into an efficient fertilizer. The manure is dried using a technology that harnesses the heat given off by the hands. No other heat source is needed. Actisol is easy to use, safe for the environment, children and pets. You can purchase Actisol products at your local garden center or order in bulk. For more information, visit www.acti-sol.ca. Actisol, the mother hen fertilizer. If you want your fruit trees to live a long and healthy and productive life, it's essential that you water them properly when they're young. You need to water slowly and deeply so the moisture seeps into your young tree's expanding root system. That sounds easy enough, but you'd be surprised at how often the water you provide for your trees just rolls away, leaving its young roots high and dry. That's why we at TreePans.com have worked with orchards to develop a product that ensures all the water gets to your tree's root system. Our expandable tree pans funnel rain or irrigation water to the drip line of your young trees. Additionally, tree pans eliminate weed growth under the tree canopy, as well as protect your trees from mowers, tractors, and weed whips. Tree pans are used in orchards, city parks, and in residential yards. And once your young tree is established, you can move your tree pans to another young tree. Learn more about tree pans at treepans.com. The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Stephen Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101. To contact Stephen live right now, send him an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Stephen Biggs. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm your guest host, Stephen Biggs, filling in for Susan. And uh, her fruit tree care training website is orchardpeople.com. Now, I hope uh, you'll hang around with us today because I have a really great book that I'll be giving away called Extra Virginity, The Sublime and Scandalous World of Olive Oil. A fantastic book. So stay tuned and I'll tell you a little bit more about it and how to get it later in the show. I'm chatting today with Carrie Cloud from the nursery Olive Tree Growers, and Carrie's website is olivetreegrowers.com. In the first part of our show today, we talked about some olive growing basics, how Carrie came to be growing olives, and also growing olives in less than ideal conditions, like in city lots. Now, I grew up eating a lot of olives from jars, and, and those really insipid black ones that come in cans. And a couple years ago, I was really excited when I saw a flat of fresh green olives at a local grocery store. I came home with that flat, but I had no idea what to do with it. That's when I asked my neighbor, Helena, she's from Cyprus, just what I should do. And she said, it's easy, Steve. Just crack them and put them in brine. 
The brine, she told me, should be salty enough to float an egg. And I thought that it was going well until I forgot about them for a little bit too long. And that's when I found that they had gone moldy. I'm hoping to try again this year. I'd really love to know if I have any chance of harvesting a few olives from my own potted trees. So we'll find out from Carrie what makes olive trees fruit and learn about olive tree pollination. Send me your questions, send me your comments, send them for Carrie Cloud of Olive Tree Growers. Our email is instudio101 at gmail.com, instudio1 at gmail.com. So Carrie Cloud, the olives that I was brining went moldy, and I think it was neglect on my part, but do you have any suggestions on how to cure olives? Well, on the FAQ page of our website, there's a link to the University of, of California at Davis, the Center for the Home Processing of Olives, and it's like a 20-some page PDF file that you can download for free. And it has, I don't know, it must be six to a dozen uh, different ways of processing olives in intricate detail there. Excellent. That sounds like a good resource for our listeners and for me. <laughs> yes, and I personally prefer the dried olives. Um, I'm not a pickled fruit person. Uh, much, I don't eat much pickled stuff at all. And it bothered me that I didn't like the olives because I love the oil so much and the tree. But then one year we had a very, very dry summer and early fall, and the olives, uncharacteristically for Florida, just stayed on the tree and turned black and then began to shrivel. And I tried one of them when all the water was gone from it, and it reminded me of the tapenade that you can buy in France, and which is a paste of olives with, with or without other flavors in it. And, and after trying that and mentioning it to my wife, we started searching, and she found the, the site that we now link on our FAQ page at the University of California, Davis. Okay. Now, still talking about processing olives, Carrie, we, you were telling us about the difference between the different oils before. I've had Susan email in inquiring about the cost of, of olive oil, and, and I know that's a little bit aside from the growing of trees, but I wonder what insights you can give us into some of the costs that, that olive producers might have to, to deal with. Well, there's the cost of harvesting the olives, uh, and, and of course, you know, the fertilizer and time and growing the olives, but uh, the cost of harvesting the olives is great, and you'd have to be a pretty big farmer to have your own milling operation and in a lot of Europe most small farmers and a lot of hobbyist homeowners take their olives to a local mill and have it pressed into oil for a percentage of the oil that it yields so you know there's the milling expense too of course and then the bottling and the labeling and the marketing so but there's a lot of variability in the prices of olive oil and it's not always it doesn't always follow that the more expensive it is the better it is you want to look for the percentage of free acid that's a really good indicator of how good an oil is in my opinion the lower the percentage the better the oil i buy from uh greeks in in new england who whose family makes the oil in the peloponnese peninsula of greece in the kalamata region uh but with koronaki olives has the lowest acidity I've ever seen at 0.035%, like 35,000. Hmm. But people brag about on their bottles, you know, much higher oil rates than that. Okay. So we're looking for low levels of free acid. Right. Let, let's jump back to growing olives at this point. Now, my potted olive trees flowered once, but they didn't set any mm -hmm. fruit. And um, they were both the same variety at that point and uh, an unnamed variety. But what pollination pointers can you give me and other home growers of olives? Okay. Uh, I remember from uh, something that you emailed or was on your site or something that it only made flowers the year that uh, you left it in an unheated area during the winter that's right and 
and that's absolutely the way it works. Um, but now you you said you had two different cultivated varieties of olive. Is that right? I started out with just one uh, cultivated variety, and uh, so one was a clone of the other. Some varieties, and they're actually cultivars. Uh, some cultivars are self-fertile, not a lot of them. Most of them require cross-pollination and sometimes pretty particular other cross-pollination. But Arbequina, for instance, is uh, absolutely self-fertile, and it's also a great pollinator for any other kind that I've ever grown because it has the longest bloom season, so its full anthesis will overlap with that of most any other cultivar. So Arbequina is self-fertile, also a good pollinator for other kinds of trees but just getting flowers and that are you know properly fertilized isn't the the everything about it either i mean sometimes you can get flowers and then a, a temperature change it doesn't have to freeze it can just get to be kind of low temperature maybe in the mid to high 30s for a period after the flowers have reached full anthesis and that can keep the floral tube, once the pollen is deposited, it can keep the floral tube from developing all the way down to the ovary or just keep it from developing fully so that only a little bit of pollen reaches the ovary. And then you can get no olives or what's called shot berries, little olives the size of BBs. Mm. So there's a lot that can go wrong. Another thing that can go wrong if it's outdoors is the strong winds or rains when the flowers are at full anthesis can just either scatter the pollen or shatter the flowers. So it, there's a lot that can go wrong, but first of all, you have to absolutely have good nutrition because, as I said, fruit is made on the wood that grew in the previous year. Mm -hmm. So if it's not growing, it's not making much area that can actually produce fruit. And then the other thing is temperature is just crucial that's why it's so tenuous here i mean why I, I don't think there'll ever be a commercial olive operation successful commercial olive operation in florida because we have such extremes of temperature winter can be cold for two weeks and then in the 80s for two or three weeks and then another cold front uh you just never know so uh Ideally for olives, it would slowly cool down in the fall and then stay cool to, I mean, stay like between jacket and coat weather, but not, you know, heated, insulated underwear weather. Mm -hmm. uh, the colder it is without damaging the trees, the better it is for fruiting. Um, some people, some Europeans I've talked with who, who grew up around olives, say that ideally it would just get to 35 degrees and stay there you know uh and that's probably not far off it wants winter to be winter and then it wants spring to come up slowly that's another problem in florida when when it becomes spring it just turns summer right then bam and that's not good for the olives either so you know it's a very delicate flowering thing which is i get the impression that peaches are very similar. I've heard of that happening with peaches in Georgia, and I suspect it happens with other things, maybe even cherries up your way, um, that just something can just go just not right in the temperature, and it can even just an event or two late in the winter or into the spring can, can make a very negative impact on fruiting. But assuming good nutrition and water and the freedom from pestilence it's it's all about temperature uh, i have people who successfully produce olives with potted trees in manhattan new york city and in uh, chicago and new jersey and in janesville wisconsin that those people go to the trouble to just make sure it has the right temperature during the winter um, and the other thing that seems to go wrong a lot with people trying to grow trees in pots is they think it's getting good light because you can read the newspaper there, but it's not nearly enough light for an olive tree. Okay. And so they start shedding leaves. Olive trees, will t plants will tell you how much light they need. To, uh, plants that do well as house plants that in low light have great big leaves. They're jungle understory plants, you know, or forest understory plants. They have big leaves so they can 
make photosynthesis with less sunlight. Trees with little leaves, especially little leathery leaves that are coated with a silvery protection like olive tree leaves, they need a lot of light, strong light. And to grow olives indoors and get fruit, you either need to move them back outside in the sun every time it's not below freezing or have professional plant lighting. Okay. And and jumping back now to varieties, we had a, another question from Connor in Ireland about the best varieties to seek out, and you said that the Arbequina is, is a great choice because it's self-fertile and that bloom overlaps. Are there other varieties we should recommend as well? Well, that would be the one that I definitely would recommend. Uh, I don't know what other cultivars might be available. Uh, I know I have had emails and photos from people much farther north in, in England than I would have thought who had olive trees that had fruit on them. And I don't know what cultivars those were, but I would think that probably uh, Piqual, P-I-C-U-A-L, which is another Spanish cultivar, Mm-hmm. would be a good one to try, and it's a bigger olive than Arbequina. Arbequina is a small olive, under two grams, and Piqual is a medium-sized to big olive, four to six grams. Okay. And probably two to three to, three to five grams, something like that. Piqual. Okay, very good. And, uh, and I don't know what else might be available, but those would be the two uh, self-fertile, most coal-hardy, and probably the most available because I know a lot of the trees in Great Britain come from France initially. Mm, okay. Carrie, we'll take a, a moment now to give away a book. And okay. uh, we love running contests here on the show. So today I have a great book to give away, and it's Extra Virginity, The Sublime and Scandalous World of Olive Oil. I loved reading this book. And author Tom Mueller will uh, take you on an olive oil journey, and you'll learn all about olive oil and history, olive production, the globalized marketplace for olive oil, and, uh, and interestingly, all the fraud that takes place in the world of olive oil. So I thought it was quite a gripping book. So if you want to immerse yourself in this world of olive growing and olive oil, you'll love the book. And if you want a chance to win it, now is the time. Uh, send me an email right now, instudio101 at gmail.com, instudio101 at gmail.com. Put book giveaway in the title and tell me in a sentence or two how you grow olives. Third person to send an email will win the book. So remember, put book giveaway in the title. And we'll find out who's won after a few words from our sponsors. Carrie, if you stay on the line, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm guest host Steve Biggs, filling in for Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Coming up after the break, we'll talk more with Carrie Cloud of Olive Tree Growers Nursery about what you need to know when growing olives in zones that are not warm enough. Carrie's website is olivetreegrowers.com. My name is Mike McNair and I'm the manager of Universal Field Supplies. Universal Field Supplies specializes in products that are used by arborists. They're professional quality tools that uh, guys that use them every day need to rely on. So they tend to be higher quality than what's found in big box stores. The Universal Field Supplies product could be used by anybody that has trees and likes to look after trees. We've all been to school for forestry or arboriculture, and we have many years of experience. We would be happy to answer any questions people have and actually ask questions of them and find out exactly what their needs are and determine what product would suit them the best. Don't hesitate to call. Here's how to reach us. Call 1-800-387-4940 or email at info at See you soon.
Universal Field Supplies has stores in Mississauga, Ontario, and Port Coquitlam in British Columbia. Learn more at universalfieldsupplies.com. Hi, I'm Mark Cullen with some news about a wonderful lineup of garden supplies and garden tools that will absolutely knock your gardening socks off. They're called Mark's Choice, and they're exclusive to home hardware, 1,100 stores coast to coast to coast. Mark's Choice features great quality products that will not only last years, but in some cases will last a lifetime. Look for my various garden gloves, stainless steel garden tools, stainless steel digging tools, my new garden backhoe, and many, many others. As a matter of fact, there's over 160 different products in the Mark's Choice lineup. I'd love you to try them all, but start by sampling one that appeals to you. Drop by your local home hardware, have a look at the Mark's Choice lineup of tools and garden supplies, including my line of garden soils, and decide for yourself. Great quality lasting quality, and a great gardening experience. That's what I strive for with Mark's Choice. Look for it at Home Hardware. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Stephen Biggs, right here on Reality Radio 101. To contact Stephen live in the studio, send him an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Stephen Biggs. Hi there, I'm Stephen Biggs, and you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, a program where we learn about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, arboriculture, and lots more. Thanks for tuning in. And in today's program, we're talking about olive trees. Now, at the beginning of the show, I told you how I squeezed an olive tree into my suitcase and brought it home. I brought it home as a companion for the two olive trees that I've been growing in seven-gallon pots for years. And I really hoped that if I got another variety, olives would follow. And they didn't. And uh, Carrie and I, my guest Carrie, were talking earlier about the fact that I only once ever had blooms. And that was the year that my olive trees were in a cold sunroom. And since then, my olive trees have been spending the winter, not in a sunroom because I don't have it anymore, but they get a dark garage or they're in my warm dining room, and there's no more bloom. So I have on the line with me now Carrie Cloud from Olive Tree Growers in Dunallen, Florida, and uh, we'll talk more about tips for succeeding with olives at home. Hi there, Carrie. Hi, Stephen. So for people growing olives in, in cold climates, potted olives, um, Let's talk more about what we can do to encourage flowering. You were saying that you have uh, talked to people in places like Manhattan and Wisconsin. And uh, what, what kind of tips can you share for actually not just growing the plant, but, but getting bloom and, and fruit on those potted olive trees? Well, it's all about temperature. I mean, that's assuming that there's nutrition and water enough. But... Uh, once you have the growth, uh, olives fruit on the previous year's growth, but temperature is crucial. If it doesn't get below 55 degrees, you're probably never going to have any fruit. And a lot of people bring their trees and potted trees into a place that's more uh, warmer than 55 degrees. And, and ideally, you won't have ex- extreme swings in temperature either. You want it to be cold but not freezing, and you want it not to warm up. Uh, you certainly don't want temperatures over the over 70 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter, and you have to have temperatures below 55 degrees Fahrenheit, and it really is the best if it just stays a little bit cold 
all winter long and then warms up slowly. That's the ideal situation. Okay. And is that so that you don't get uh, uh, the plant trying too rapidly to grow then, suddenly coming out of uh, uh, dormancy and growing too quickly? Are you there, Carrie? Carrie, are you there? Hello, Carrie. We might have lost him because of his cell signal, uh, I think. Carrie, are you there? Yep. Let me try to get Carrie back on the line, okay, Steve? Okay. So as uh, as Gary's getting Carrie back on the line, uh, don't forget, uh, we'll be giving away a copy of that book in a moment, so stay tuned to find out who's won a copy of Extra Virginity, The Sublime and Scandalous World of Olive Oil. That's by author Tom Mueller, and it's a really neat tale of the world of olives, olive production, olive oil, and that globalized olive marketplace. And uh, when we were talking earlier with Kerry, we were talking about varieties, and he recommended Arbequina and Piquel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, P-I-C-U-A-L. And I should mention that the Arbequina is the, uh, the variety that I came home with in my suitcase after my trip to British Columbia when I visited a nursery there and I said, can you sell me an olive tree that's most likely to give me olives and most likely to give me olives on my existing trees? That's the, the olive tree that I came home with. And I think Carrie's there. Are you there, Carrie? Yes, I'm here. Okay, sorry about that, folks. We got a uh, cell signal we lost on Carrie, but uh, Carrie's back with us. Okay. And uh, so, Carrie, we've had a question come in from Alexis, who's wondering about the difference between table olive trees and oil olive trees. Are they the same, or are they different types of trees? No, they're the same. And in most places where olives are grown, uh, whatever olive they grow is used both ways. Uh, there are some olives that are so small that it's impractical to use them for table fruit, uh, such as Chimalali, which is grown in, along the coast in Tunisia. Uh, and some people uh, consider, I mean, it, it's, it's, it kind of depends on where you're from. Some people think that uh, it's better to have table olives that are small olives. That's kind of the popular attitude in a lot of southern France and in a lot of the uh, southern uh, coast of the Mediterranean. And then other people, particularly in Italy and in um, the islands around there, um, they like really, really big olives for their table fruit. So it's it's just a matter of personal taste. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, those olives are really big, but they don't have good texture and flavor. And, of course, those big olives are often flavored with other things, you know. Um, mm. Olives are, by nature, extremely bitter. So if you have a big olive, you have more bitterness to get out, so it's going to take more processing. Um, but it's just a matter of personal preference, really. Most olives are used both ways. They often pick the best olives for table fruit and then pick the general picking for oil. Okay. So it's really a personal preference. That's right. All right. Now, Stan has sent us a question, and he's wondering, how many olives would an average tree yield? Is it enough to make it worthwhile for someone to grow one tree? What do you think about that? Yeah, in a place where everything's good for it, um, and it can produce its maximum, uh, depending on the cultivar, because some are much bigger trees than others, uh, from 50 to 125 pounds of olives per tree. And it takes 50 pounds of olives to make a gallon of olive oil with a good press, good system. 50 pounds for one gallon. Okay. Right. Okay. And, and so I'm thinking back to the, the trees that I have carry. They're about seven feet tall. And um, if, if I were ever to succeed in getting olives on those trees of mine, which I really hope I do after we talk today, what, what kind of yield do you think you could get off of a tree that size? A seven-foot tree, and, and is it, what, four or five feet wide? Or? It's a seven-foot tree with a ball at the top. 
Uh, so ah. it's maybe as wide as a bit wider than a person. Okay. If if you get maximum fruit from it, um, probably maybe just no more than like a quart or a half gallon, something like that. Okay. So it would be enough for somebody to, to brine and have some table olives that they can say Absolutely. they've grown themselves. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's jump back, Carrie, to um, some of the people you've talked to in cold zones in Wisconsin and Manhattan. I'd love to right. know what are they doing to make their trees survive the winter? Well, a lot of those people are people I sold trees to. I used to ship a small tree, five feet tall, in a two-gallon pot. Five feet tall and only two, two and a half, three feet wide. And I eventually quit doing it because so many people had trouble with it. But some people did it very well. And it's a matter of keeping that temperature right in the winter. And also, it takes a little attention to grow an olive tree in a pot. It's a much more difficult thing to do than growing a, you know, a flowering tropical or something in a pot. Uh, I mean, it wants to be a great big tree with the root system spread out for 30 feet in diameter. And and so, you know, you have to pay much closer attention to it than you would if you were growing it in the ground. Now, we have also heard of people growing olive trees in the ground in places with cold winters. Um, the first couple times I heard about the Chicago burial of olive trees, I thought somebody was just pulling my leg. But eventually, I, I talked to people who had enough gravitas to convince me that, yeah, we do this. And what they say they do is dig around all the way, three-quarters of the way around the tree and then dig a trench out from the tree. And then they bend it over into this trench and they cover it with leaves and soil for the entire winter. And then they stand it up again and they say it leaves out again after that. So I haven't actually seen that, but I've been told that by many people. And also I've, one of the most interesting uh, schemes I've heard is a lady in uh, Philadelphia who has a, a chimney on the south side of her house and so she has her olive tree planted near the chimney and she builds a fence around the tree in the fall and then when it starts to get too cold for the tree she fills that up with leaves and then puts a cloth cover over the top and it being on the south side near the chimney helps a lot i've also heard of people using those shake and break heat packs like you would use in a camp or they different sizes of them for in your boots or whatever mm -hmm. uh, and and actually putting covering the tree and then putting those heat packs in there which probably have to be changed two or three times during the night wow um, and another thing i've heard of people doing this is a construction contractor who happened to have the big incandescent lights and he just puts those on it at night and that keeps it from getting too cold uh here in north florida where Sometimes it can get, well, the coldest I've seen is 13 degrees, and that's just sudden, you know, a cold front that comes out of northern Canada and comes right here. Um, and I just, when my trees were smaller uh, and we had a couple of periods like that, any, something below, anything below 20, I would just lay them down and cover them with one layer of that white frost fabric. It's like an unwoven cotton. It's more like lint from from a cotton making place that's just pressed together in the fabric, mm -hmm. big sheets of fabric. And that keeps it okay. I mean, it biomass creates heat too, so when you pile things up, you know, and then cover them, they stay warmer than if it's just standing alone and covered. So, so that works here, but where it's gonna be below 20 for many, many hours, that's, that's gonna take much more, much more effort but uh, I also know people, people in Manhattan who bought trees from me who happen to have a deck, I guess, precious commodity there, would bring their trees out in the winter every day that they could. And that just made all the difference. And then when they brought them in, it wasn't all the way into the heated part of the house. It was kind of in a transition room that stayed cooler. But the, the people who bring their trees inside, I, I've had emails from people who bought trees from me 
and they hadn't outside until the first really hard freeze, but it had been quite cool. And the tree was okay with that, but then when they brought it inside, the tree thought, oh, winter's over, it's spring now, and it started setting flowers, you know. So I have people calling mm-hmm. me and, go, and asking, what's those little bunches of white grapes on my olive tree? And it's unopened flower buds. Okay. So it can get fooled into thinking it's spring. If you leave it outside through some pretty cool weather and then bring it inside before your first really hard cold front, it could be fooled into fruiting. Best to, you know, just keep it as cool as possible and not not without being frozen and then not having it inside a heated house. Once it's cool, keep it cool until spring then. Right. Okay. That would that would be what it would take, really. I mean, and I I have customers who who bought seven gallon trees, and now they have them in forty five or sixty five gallon pots, and they bring them in and out with some dolly systems. But you know, it, there's all kind of ways. It just takes uh, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of preparation. But uh, you know, some avid gardeners find it worth the trouble. I certainly do myself. They're they're beautiful trees, and even though I don't get olives, I'm still hoping for olives. But even though I don't get olives, uh, it's worth it just for the the way the light comes through them, and and the way you were describing them when we started out today. They're just beautiful trees. Yes, absolutely. And most of my sales now are for that purpose. I sell bigger trees, 45 gallon to 100 gallon, and a lot of them go to events. We delivered a tree. To Toronto or we couldn't go across the border we delivered it to Niagara Falls and someone picked it up there uh, a couple of trees about two months ago for an event um, I don't even know what the event was it was I was contacted by the event handling person so uh, you know they were just happy to find the trees and someone was willing to take them right away to Niagara Falls so we, we did send some to Toronto a couple three months ago okay that's good to know that there will be more olive trees here in Toronto. Um, Carrie, with that, we're going to wrap up. We're out of time, and I'd like to say thank you very much for telling us all about olives and, and how you grow them there in Florida and, and what we can try to do in other parts of, of the world to, to get olive trees to grow for us. So thanks very much for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Stephen. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Carrie. And uh, at, this, at this point, I have a copy of our book to give away. That's Extra Virginity, The Sublime and Scandalous World of Olive Oil by Tom Mueller. And the, um, the winner is Tate Washburn, who was the third person to email in. And Tate, if you would please, email your mailing address here to the studio, and we'll use that to send you a copy of the book. So my guest today was Carrie Cloud of Olive Tree Growers in Dunallen, Florida. And Carrie's website is olivetreegrowers.com. And if you have more olive growing questions, there's lots of good information on there. So the Urban Forestry Radio Show is just about over for this month. I've hoped you, uh, I hope you've enjoyed our show. And I'd like to remind you that there's so much more that you can learn on the Orchard People website. That's orchardpeople.com. There's blogs, there's videos, online fruit tree care training courses for arborists, for gardeners, for home growers. And and if you like this show, do go through the past episodes in the archive at orchardpeople.com slash podcasts. We have shows about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, arboriculture, and of course, if you want to listen to this show again, we will add it soon. While you're visiting orchardpeople.com, sign up for Orchard People's monthly newsletter, and it's packed with great information about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and more. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show. I'm guest host Stephen Biggs, filling in for Susan Poisoner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in.
You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at @urbanfruittrees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.